Today, I'm interviewing Caitlin Hockett, an MBTI certified practitioner and Gallup certified strengths coach. Caitlin, would you mind explaining what that <laughs> Sure. Means? Yeah, it's a lot of jargon. So um, as for the MBTI certified practitioner portion, that is referring to the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Um, it's an assessment that a lot of people have probably taken, but they may not recognize the name. It gives you a four-letter code, and there are 16 possible personality types that you get from there. We'll go over the details soon, but that's the general thing that that is. That helps me help help people figure out their personality types and what that means for them in their lives. And then as for the Gallup Certified Strengths Coach portion, that means that I am certified to administer and interpret Gallup's assessment, which is called Clifton Strengths. It is formerly known as Strengths Finder. They just did a name change a few years ago. So those are the one and the same. That one is a, an assessment that shows 34 possible talent themes that you could have, and we all have each of them to some extent, but what it does is pull out your top five and prioritizes those for you to focus on. So yeah, sometimes you'll hear top five strengths, top five talent themes. Those are all, that's all referring to the Clifton Strengths assessment. Okay. So that's even more to delve yeah. into. Even though I've heard of Myers-Briggs, um, I hadn't taken the test until recently, or maybe I did when I was way younger and I forgot. Mm -hmm. Would you mind explaining to the listeners what the 16 personality types sure. are? Yeah. So like I mentioned, there are four things that we're looking at. That's why you get a four-letter type code. So there are four different things we're looking at, and each of them are in pairs where you have a preference for one thing or another. So the first set of what we would call dichotomies are extroversion and introversion. So the letters we use are E and I, and that's about where you get your energy from. So when we're looking at the E and I, the E stands for extroversion. So those who prefer extroversion, they tend to get their energy from the world around them as well as, um, you know, from talking things out and, and expressing things outwardly. That, that tends to work pretty well for them. And people who have a preference for introversion tend to get their energy more from within themselves. So they might need more time alone to feel like they're really fueled up. Um, one thing I always, one myth I always wanted to spell is that being an extrovert means that you're always outgoing or talkative and being an introvert means you're always shy or reserved because you can be either way in groups. There can be extroverts who just like to be around people and not talk. There can be introverts who can be very talkative when they're in groups, especially if it's a group they're quite familiar and comfortable with. And yeah, so those are the first two, what we call the different buckets of those dichotomies. The second two are sensing and intuition. So this is S, and then instead of I, since we already used I with introversion, we use N for intuition. And this is about how we take in information. These are called our perceiving functions. So the way we perceive the world. Um, people who have the sensing preference tend to take things in via their five senses. So things that are tangible, measurable, real, here and now. That's typically what they, what they pay more attention to initially. We all do both, but this is the thing that you, it's like your, your dominant hand. You could maybe write with the other one, but this is the one you're going to go to automatically first. Then for intuition, the people who prefer intuition tend to focus more on bigger picture. They look at things that are very theoretical, what could be, what's possible, what has, what does this thing have potential for? Um, that tends to be what they focus on. And then later they would look at, you know, they would narrow down and look at the details. And then the third set of dichotomies is thinking and feeling. And so for these, we go mm -hmm. back to the first letter. So a T for thinking, F for feeling. And this 
the, well, these two are called our judging functions and not judging in the negative way, but uh, you know how that can have a negative connotation, but more just about making judgment calls or decisions. So this is about what information we like to use to make decisions about that information we took in. So people who prefer thinking tend to like to make decisions by standing outside of the situation and looking in and focusing on very objective information that they can gather. You know, what are the pros and cons, the causes and effects and all that sort of thing. Then people who prefer to make decisions via feeling, they tend to like to step into a situation, be more subjective, utilize their empathy to figure out how is everybody feeling about this. And they really tend to focus most of their attention to making a decision on the question of how is this going to affect people. And people with a thinking preference also take that into consideration, but it's not weighted quite as heavily as it might be for somebody with the feeling preference. And then the last set of dichotomies is our perceiving and judging. So this is a P for perceiving, J for judging. This is about sort of how we orient ourselves to the world around us. So those who prefer perceiving tend to take an approach of wanting to take a bunch of information in and really soak it up and explore everything before ever having to make a decision. They tend to feel kind of uneasy after a decision is made because a door has closed and they like to always leave mm. options available. And then people with a judging function, they tend to come to come to decisions more quickly and feel more comfortable once a decision has been made. Um, they also tend to prefer things in the outside world to be, I would say, more orderly and structured. They might not be as comfortable with the ambiguity that somebody with a perceiving preference might be okay with. Okay. Let, let, if you don't mind, I'd like to try kind of like a, a little exercise mm -hmm. if, you, if you're yes. up for it. I have a friend that I adore and she's so bright and so creative and like she went to Middlebury. I mean, the girl is smart, but more often than not, I can't wrap my head around what she is saying to me or writing to me. And very often I have to say, Hey, could you, I just got your message, understood about 5% of what you just said. Could you slow down a sec and kind of spell that out to me as if I were a small child? Because it's like, she's so wrapped up in the complex mm -hmm. thoughts that she's having that she doesn't realize that when she's saying whatever she's saying to me or whoever, or I guess in this case, me, but yeah, um, when she, she, the way she states things, it makes sense to her and I can tell it makes sense to her, but it makes absolutely uh -huh. no sense to me. I mean, none. And so, and, and she's a Capricorn. I'm an Aries. It did not dawn on me that this wasn't a, a Zodiac sign thing. This was a Myers-Briggs situation. Yeah. So I wrote her and I said, hey, do you mind? I'm about to interview someone who's an expert on Myers-Briggs. And I, I'm really curious what your personality type is. Do you mind sending it to me? Even her reply for that was infuriating. <laughs> like it didn't make any sense. It was like it said something and then it was like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours or something. And I was like, dude, I got, I don't, Okay. So I sent her mine because mm -hmm. I was like, obviously she wants to know what mine is. And then she sent me hers. And, um, and it's amazing because I am, hey, what am I? I thought we what did. Am I? What did I tell you? I we're looking at, because you had tested as ISFP, but yes. we're thinking that actually that probably, this is a good example too, because we can talk about the stress, how stress can affect the way you get your results. Um, and then, but you checked out INFP as well. And you felt like that resonated more with you. 
I am an ISFP currently because that's how I tested mm-hmm. today. My feeling or my hunch and your hunch is that I might actually be an INFP. Um, so we're going to for the sake of argument's sake right now, we're going to say I'm INFP because I, I appear to be on paper and talking to me. Um, she is an ESTJ. So she's the exact opposite on all of the letters, on all of the categories. Right. And, and I also had another question. So I, I guess I'll squish these two together, which is our personality types, are they similar uh, for, you know, how people are compatible as far as like, you know, like a lot of the time with the Zodiac, fire signs are supposed to be uh, hanging out with air signs. Earth signs should be hanging out with uh, water signs. And then you've got your, you know, ascendente and all that stuff. But um, is there is there like a whole school of thought on this? Like, are there certain personality types that go better with others? What can you tell me about all this? And why do I find her so freaking confusing? Even though I love her. <laughs> all right, I'll address both of those. Um, okay, so th- okay. for the compatibility piece, um, there are different schools of thought on that. There are a lot of theories around out there about the level of compatibility. You can find charts about who might be a better friend for you, a better parent-child combo, a better romantic partner, all these different things. Um, and you'll, you may find as you learn more about it, uh, this goes for anybody, as you learn more about it and look at who the peop- like, what the types are of the people in your life, it's, it can sometimes be easy to notice patterns or trends in the types of people who you're magnetically drawn to or you're drawn to each other. So you might have an overabundance of certain types in your life. That being said, what I learned when I was getting certified, which I I do find to be true anecdotally in my own life, is that any two people can go together very well, whether it be a friendship or a romantic partnership, et cetera, as long as both are open to learning about and understanding where the other is coming from. Because if you can have that communication, anything can be worked through. And actually, the differences can be kind of fun and exciting because it keeps things interesting to always have something to learn. Like, oh, you perceived it that way? Oh, my gosh. I never would have thought of that. So it can give you this whole other view on life. Okay. But getting down to the <laughs> juicy stuff. Like, if I'm <laughs> – I mean, come on. Um, so if I am an INFP, mm-hmm. if we're going to generalize, what would you recommend for me? Oh, Okay. So <clears throat> I'm going to, I try not to, which is why I don't have a quick answer for you because I try to be okay. open-minded about it. Um, <laughs> right, right. I know, I believe I would have to check myself on this, but I believe your types as an INFP that supposedly you would work very well with are, I believe they would be ENFJ and ENTJ. I would need to double check myself on that. But that might be one that is thrown around because I'm an ENFP and I supposedly get along very well with INTJ and INFJ. So I think it's swapped for us. That being said, sometimes I think <laughs> more of the same because when you have the two middle letters in common, the two the two letters in the middle are what make up our cores. And so anytime you have those two middle letters in common with somebody, you're probably going to at least feel some sort of kinship in the in that you process the world in a somewhat similar way. But there are also many differences depending on what the other letters are. So sometimes having more letters in common actually might lead to more friction because it's one of those things, you know, when you're so similar to somebody, but they're just a few tiny differences, you almost end up splitting those hairs and you can find each other more irritating than somebody totally different than you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I I mentioned before I'm an Aries. I've dated two Aries Mm -hmm. men. 
I've never been the type to throw plates and get, you know, dramatic. I, on a regular basis, wanted to punch that last one in the face. <laughs> like, I, like, he just pushed every friggin' yep, button. Yep. He dro- he, that guy drove me crazy. We were too similar. And then those things that weren't similar were infuriating. Even more infuriating than the similarities. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. You recently did a, an interview with Sarah Micatel, and I'm going to make sure to link that somewhere on this episode so um, listeners can get even more in depth because you, you go through a lot of really interesting topics there. Um, and you mentioned that you did a test together with your parents and your siblings, and it really helped you to understand each other better. And I wanted to know how old were you at the time? And is there a specific age you'd recommend for taking this test, for taking the Myers-Briggs? Can children take it? Or is there, Good question. Is there a recommendation? Yeah, um, I was 13 at the time, which is 13 or 14. And I believe the minimum age that they suggest, what I just read is that it's actually currently 13 even though the caveat is kind of as long as somebody can read and understand the questions, they can take it. But when we're young, we're Mm -hmm. still changing so much that it might not be spot on. I think, I think a perfect age to take it personally is whatever age you may be. This could be a slight range when you are say a junior or senior in high school and applying to colleges, because if you're starting to think about what type of environment might I want to be in? What type of school would work best for me? What type of major would I want? And what are the schools that have that major? I think this is really helpful to take around that age. And, and you tend to have a pretty good sense of who you are at that point, making those big decisions. And, and then I also found it fascinating that you're in a family of six, right? There's four siblings. You've got a brother and Correct. two sisters. Mm-hmm. And you are the only extrovert out of all six. Correct. So your dad's an introvert. You have almost the same combination or almost same. You're uh, ENFP right. and he's INFP. Yes. And he was the one who brought the book home, which to- it's it's so ENFPs, INFPs, a lot of, a lot of us tend to enjoy this type of self-exploration. Um, and mm-hmm. so it makes sense that he was the one who brought it to the family and that he and I were very, very similar. We're the most similar, I think, out of any combo of people in my family. Then your mom is the exact opposite of you. Uh, my Yeah, so my mom's an ISTJ, which is my opposite. Um, and then my oldest sister is an INTJ, um, one of the people I'm supposed to get along well with, and I do. I get along well with all of them, um, but she and I always tend to want to talk about the same types of things. So I find that interesting, even though we only – this is where it can be funny because we only have intuition in common, but that keeps our conversations going because we like to talk about ideas. It's honestly really hard to type people you're close to because it's very easy to see the exceptions to the rules of their typical behavior. Mm-hmm. So I, I rely on the assessment a lot more for people I know well um, than when, say, I'm maybe guessing what my boss might be or something when I first meet them. It's very different. When you did that test as a family, you were 13. I'm imagining as the only extrovert in the family, you must have felt kind of like a black sheep or just kind of a little different than everybody else. Like how, how did it change your perception of your family and your relationship with them after you took the test? Um, I think it brought a lot of comfort to me. Um, as far as the extroversion goes, I think it made a lot of sense that, um, I did in this case, I did fit the stereotype of extroversion where I was a very talkative child. I still am. I still love conversing, but, um, I was very, very talkative 
Um, always wanted to be connecting and chatting. And it kind of made sense why some of them might have wanted a little more alone time or downtime because our home that we shared was their place to have the quiet they needed. So if I were talking, you know, that would be disruptive to that. Um, but at the same time, maybe I was wanting that connection sometimes. But luckily, like I said, even people who have in, an introversion preference can very much love to socialize. So um, that was one thing that was validating. But I think just even to a lot of people in my family, um, when it depends when you look, it's all different across the board, but a few of them have the thinking preference and a few have the judging preference, which are very different from mine. And those tend to make them a little bit more organized and methodical and logical than I tend to be naturally. And so I always felt like I was just tripping over myself all the time and just not really quite getting things right. Um, like they would tease my dad and me saying we both buttered our bread in some way that they found strange. <laughs> And so, so it was just like, even those little things, it's like, how am I doing this wrong? And so I think when suddenly I saw that, you know, it's not that there's anything wrong with me or my dad for buttering bread in such and such way. It's just that there are these 16 different yet totally equal and equally valuable types of people. And this is the one that I am. And these are the ones that they are. And we all bring value to the table. Yeah, because it, it seems obvious that everybody has their own personality. I mean, we all know that. I mean, that's just kind of com common knowledge, right? But I feel like what Myers-Briggs does is it brings, it, it kind of brings in a language that you can use to help you interpret the other people's personalities so that you can accept them and accept yourself and not judge each other. So it is another language and it's a language that each person is going to have to learn. And with time, we'll, we'll remember what our our uh, personality type is and our letters are, but, and what all the different letters mean. And I think it's definitely worth learning that it really, it's an, it's not that big of an investment of time. It's 16 letters, right? So yeah, <laughs> not even it's yeah. 16 combination letters. It's only mm -hmm. one, eight letters. So, um, it's, it's definitely worth taking the time to get to know ourselves, to get to know this process and how it can help us understand our, ourselves and other people. I was once told by a friend who works in HR, she said, you know, it's what you do. You have to give all of yourself, you know? And I was like, yeah, it's so weird because I love people, but I, I have to have time by myself. I've always thought of myself as an extrovert, but I don't know, maybe I'm an introvert. And she said, you're a social introvert. Mm. And I was like, what? I mean, my head yeah. exploded. I was like, what is that? Explain it to me. And it just blew my mind because she helped me understand that I can love people and be the life of the party, but that it's okay for me to go home and want to be alone afterwards and recharge my batteries. I didn't know that was a thing. Totally. You know, I just, I, I just assumed that extrovert meant extrovert. So I just thought I was kind of losing my mind and didn't really know who I was, you know? So that, when she told me that, that was kind of the beginning of me understanding that there's all these different layers to our, oh, that yes. we have that we need to understand. About yeah. Ourselves. And there, yeah. without getting too convoluted, because I, I don't, when I've just explained the basics, I don't like to dive into the next layer of Myers-Briggs with people just at that point. But if anyone is interested, um, the thing that they could Google is cognitive functions and the cognitive oh. functions look at sort of a breakdown of what's going on within each personality type. And to keep it really simple, I'll say that the first two functions that we all use are are kind of our strongest, like I said, your dominant hand or something, you know, the, the muscles you're flexing all the time. And for everyone, everybody has one of those functions that's more introverted and one that is more extroverted. 
and people who have an I in their four-letter code, their introverted function comes first and their extroverted one comes second. And people who have the E in their four-letter type code, they have their extroverted function first and their introverted function second. So for you and me, I won't, like I said, I won't explain all the eight different functions, but I will explain how yours and mine um, are similar yet different. So as an ENFP and an INFP, we have the same top two functions, but in a reverse order. So you lead with what is called introverted feeling, which is sort of a sense of um, your internal like values and what matters to you and your sort of code that you live by, as well as a desire for authenticity. And then your secondary thing is extroverted intuition. So extroverted intuition Mm -hmm. has to do with sort of scanning your environment for possibilities and, and getting inspiration and ideas from the world around you and just seeing how everything's connected. Um, so Mm -hmm. I think if you, and that's assuming that you're an INFP. So it seems like that excitement, that connection and sharing these big ideas and things about Florence with people would be your extroverted intuition at play, but that's your second function. So at the end of the day, your first and favorite function is that introverted feeling mm-hmm. where you can go turn back mm-hmm. into yourself, like kind of go over the day, think about how you feel about things, um, check your, a lot of times it's a, it's about checking one's sort of behaviors and everything and seeing if it aligns with their values. Did I act in a way that was very me? What's interesting though Um, when you talk about how my mom and I have all opposite four letters and you and your friend have, um, who's the ESTJ have all opposite four letters. Um, what's interesting about that is that, so there are eight possible functions that we all have in different orders. Um, when you have somebody with the exact opposite four letters from you, you share the same top four, but in reverse order. And so in times like right now with everything going on with this pandemic, a lot of us are not operating from our top two functions. Most of us are very likely operating from the ones that are a little hidden, the third and fourth that are sort of just hanging out there. So um, you might be acting a little bit more like your friend who's an ESTJ, but you would be doing it at a level that is not the fluid, natural way she would do it. It might be extreme. So you were saying you thought you might've mm-hmm. gotten sensing because you're feeling stressed and that's very possible mm-hmm. um, because that's your third function. It has to do with sensing. And when we're stressed out, we tend to do those things that we're not typically great at. It's like we're using our non-dominant hand just wildly, you know, yeah. we're just like if I were, I'm a dominant right hand. So if I were to write with my left hand, no matter how furiously I'm doing it, it's never going to look as great as it would look if a person who has a dominant left hand wrote the same thing. I'm technically doing, using the same tools they are, but it's not going to look the same. So this is why we start to not recognize one another in a time of crisis because we're acting very opposite from how Mm. we typically act. I actually made a spreadsheet. (laughs) I have a spreadsheet. Uh And it has the quantity, like the weight. <laughs> so, and, and, and category, like, so for pasta, I've got fusilli, I've got spaghetti, I've got the exact weight of each pasta that I have. So I can figure out because for an average person, hundred grams is a good portion, anywhere from 80 to 120 yeah. is a good portion. So I'm just rounding it out to hundred grams. So I figured out exactly how many meals I can make out of the pasta I have, the rice I have, the couscous, the farro, all these things that were in the pantry because I'm dog sitting. So there's already their stuff right. too, um, just in case I have to d- dig into that. 
and and uh, and then all these different things. So yeah, I am normally disorganized. Mm-hmm. I normally am the kind of person that likes to go to the grocery store every couple of days and get what I need. Yep. And here I am with a spreadsheet, and I could tell you exactly how many grams of pasta. Right. And so in my this possession. is a perfect example. So I did a similar thing once. We were planning a friend's bridal shower. And I came up with a spreadsheet mm-hmm. um, to, you know, look at <laughs> the plates, the utensils, the alcohol, the, all these different things that we're going to need to purchase and what our budget was just to make sure we were all on track. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm doing really well. I'm, I'm acting like my friends who are way more organized, you know. And then, uh, but like, I don't know that anybody even looked at it or cared. <laughs> and so, um, so my friend's husband, when I, when I told him what I made, he goes, yeah, it sounds like you were trying to be so like the, at the time he made the distinction between perceiving and judging, like perceiving tends to be more go with the flow and the judging is more, a little more organized and on top of stuff. Typically it's a very, very big generalization, but he said, it sounds like you were trying to be more like a J, but you were more J than a J, (laughs) you know, you were just going over the top. (laughs) And so I'm thinking about your friend who's the, you know, technically the opposite personality type of you. And I'm thinking she probably could have come up with something similar, but would not have gotten as detailed, but would still have been just as, if not more effective than the one that you created, because it's not really your wheelhouse, you know, to be doing that stuff. So Mm -hmm. it's like, we sort Mm -hmm. of do what we think someone like that would do. Like, is this what an organized person would do? And then we go over the top. And then it's one of those things that are you getting the return on investment for your time and energy. And a lot of times that Roy, (laughs) I feel like I've got, I'm, Total Roy in this situation because I mean return on investment. I know exactly how much food I've got. It it keeps me grounded so that I'm not like pigging out on cookies one day and pasta the next. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's making me feel like a rock star. Yes, I did this yeah. thing. Um, but I also think that you did that because it. We're speaking of times of stress. There's often it is stressful to be in a wedding party, right? right. And it is, uh, and especially when you have. The bridesmaids, you know, maybe two of them, maybe you don't know any of them. So you've got all these people with different personalities coming together and it can get real ugly real right. fast. Right. You want it to be fair. You want everyone organized. to be happy on the same page and all that stuff. Yep. And somebody's got to, I'm, I'm all about lead, follow, or get out of the way. <laughs> I love that. Like, I am all about that. I love that. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'm, I'm typically a, a lead but I am more than willing to follow. And if I see that no one's listening to me or telling me what to do, I'll just get out yep. of the way. Like, yep. no problem, people. I'll get out of the way. During times of stress, our personality types, we do things that are kind of not predictable to our loved ones because they're actually outside of our personality type. And so like, how would you, what would you recommend to people that are currently sheltering in place and might be for the next couple of weeks or months, depending on how all this goes, how would you keep couples together <laughs> right now? <laughs> so yeah, I, I would say if they already know their types, that can be helpful because hopefully they've taken the assessment at a time when they were not already under stress. So in which case, if they have, I think it could be fun for each of them to read a little bit about one another's types and even do a little Googling about that type under stress to understand. <laughs> what do you mean by Googling? <laughs> <laughs> Google safely, please. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Um, There'll be a lot of Googling while everyone's in court. Yeah, it's either going to be, what what did we say? It's going to be like divorces, baby boom. There are all these options for what what might come of 
of all this time together, right? <laughs> so yeah, I, I would say, yeah, do a little searching around, you know, if you're if your partner is an ESTJ, look at ESTJ stress or the common phrase that's used with Myers-Briggs is in the grip. So when you're in the grip of like either very strong or chronic stress, read about each other to have a little compassion for what you each might be going through and read about yourself under stress because that really helps figure out how to acknowledge that what you're, you know, if you're feeling a little bit like you're reeling right now, it, it can almost, um, just like it brought you comfort to create that spreadsheet and have something you had control over. I think when you can, like you said, learn the language and um, sort of understand what somebody of your type might be doing right now, when you can read about it and go, oh my gosh, oh, that's why I'm doing that. I know, I recognize that I've been acting like that. Okay. So it's not that I'm, I don't know, I'm not losing it. I'm just, I, I'm just going through a normal stress cycle. And a lot of times they, um, there are a lot of great articles that explain about how to get back to sort of your status quo, if somebody were to look into their cognitive functions, they usually suggest that the way back is through your second or auxiliary function. So for an INFP, since I said your second function is extroverted intuition, and that is the one that gets excited about possibilities, maybe for you, it would be thinking about the positive possibilities that could come of the time in quarantine or the pos positive possibilities mm -hmm. of what the future may look like for you or for the world. So that would right. be my suggestion there. Look into how how is your type acting under stress? How is your partner's type or whoever you may be living with at this time? How do they act under stress? And what does that mean for all of you? How do you recognize it and what do you do about it? Just be aware though, because a lot of us are sort of in this collective time of stress. Like I said, our core two letters tend to seem to flip when we're stressed. Right. So you might want to explore a few different, per no matter what your result is, maybe explore a few that are, have share similar letters with that one. Like you did today, you got ISFP and INFP and then read both and figure, or, or you were close on the S and the N mm -hmm. and you read both. Um, mm -hmm. because yeah, it, it can be hard to recognize or, or to get the correct result when you're already in the feeling of stress, but it can help to get feedback from your loved ones who know you well, and also say, does this sound how like, you know, how I typically am or not? I always say it's going from frustration to appreciation. So it when we see, oh, these are just the things that we're all really good at. We're all just trying to share our gifts. That's it. You know, none of us has an agenda to get at other people or anything like that. I, I, I genuinely believe it's just, just all combines differently with people. There's mm -hmm. an analogy. I, I was just thinking about this earlier that it's sort of like when you think of the periodic table of elements and there are all these different things mm -hmm. you can look at. Um, they all just kind of do what they do but then they can all get put together differently. So I was thinking about if you take oxygen and you put it with hydrogen, you get water. Awesome. But you put it with carbon and you can get a deadly gas. <laughs> so it's right. just recognizing that, you know, nothing is any one person's fault. Everyone's just sort of doing their thing and doing what they do well. And sometimes when you hit a point of friction with somebody to have the this language, whether it be the strengths language or the Myers-Briggs language, or a lot of people have the Enneagram language and or five love languages. There are so many different fun assessments <laughs> you can do. But when you have some sort of framework, it offers a sense of comfort and, and control and understanding around all of it. And um, we haven't even got, we don't, we'll do that another yeah. time because I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> I would love to talk to you about, I haven't even got into the Enneagram yet, which is amazing. But the other thing Gretchen Rubin talks about the obliger, mm -hmm. the, what is it? Obliger, rebel, upholder, 
upholder questioner. and support questioner. Oh, the questioners drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my friend is a questioner, the ESTJ. I think she's also a questioner. So it's like, I'm like, stop asking questions. <laughs> Just do it. Just do it, dude. I love it. I don't know why. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. those are fun. Um, yeah. So- <laughs> Yeah, those are fun too. But um, and I would love to talk. Uh, yeah, I could talk to you for hours. Before I go over and um, everyone just stops listening because they, they run out of battery on their phones. Um, oh, actually, I wanted to bring up, um, if everyone can't get enough of you, which I would not blame them, um, you're going to be starting your own podcast soon called Life with an ENFP. And I cannot wait to listen to it. Your passion for what you do and your ability to clearly explain things has just sparked my interest in this topic. And I feel like Anything that you explain, I would get excited about. So I think everyone's going to enjoy that podcast because either they're an ENFP or they live with someone who's an ENFP or they work with someone who's an ENFP. And uh, like we said, this is a language that we all can learn to help us communicate better with others and in, in, um, in our lives. So how can we follow you? How can we get in contact with you? Like, what if I want you to be my Myers-Briggs and Gallup? strengths coach guru ah, how do i yes. find you um so you would just go to my website it's caitlinhockett.com and i'll spell that because it's a little tricky it's c-a-i-t-l-i-n-h-a-w-e-k-o-t-t-e i'll make sure to put a link to that too somewhere near wherever people are getting the podcast <laughs> and i'm also going to link to your interview with sarah micatel so I'll put both of those up. I'll put your website and just curious, cause I'm, I've been meaning to ask you. So if I really did want you to be my guru, cause I mean, you're a coach, right? You're a practitioner and a coach. So how does that work? Do you do that kind of thing online with like a Skype call or a zoom call, or is it something you only do in person? Yeah. Especially now, it, typically I, I love to do in person cause I just love to interact and I get energized by that. Um, be given how I am, but uh, yeah, given the current circumstances, everything is online currently. So it's uh, it's usually you know whatever works for people, whether that's Skype, FaceTime, Zoom, Google Hangouts. Um, I, we we find ways to make it work. They would just come to me and and we would discuss the price of that. They would get a link to take the assessment, and then we spend an hour going over what those results mean. With that, I will bid you adieu, and I can't wait to hear your podcast and. Let, let me know if I can be of any help, even though I have yet to figure a lot of it out. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> Let that. me know if I can help with anything while you're going to set up. Okay? Thank, you. Thank you so much, Tony. It was so much fun. <laughs> Thank you, Caitlin. It was really great talking to you.